Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Stephen. I'm Anoush. And I'm Alva. And it's my last time on the New Statesman podcast, so in an incredibly self-indulgent trip down memory lane, we look back on my highlights, a lot more lowlights, and we have a very, very special You Ask Us. So on today's New Statesman podcast, it's our last with Stephen Bush. Um, so we're not going to talk about anything serious. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not a regular listener, maybe just this give this one a miss. This isn't going to be a good jumping on point. Um, <laughs> Unless you want to feel nostalgic for someone you never knew. <laughs> <laughs> so Stephen, what new from the Ukraine border? <laughs> um, <laughs> so before we go any further, I think a thing that um, our listeners won't be aware of is that um, Stephen's a bit of a cocktail fiend. I mean, Anusha has been joking that I've only got to know you, Stephen, in your sort of bougie era. Whereas you, <laughs> yes. two, you two go way back. <laughs> yeah, because Alva was like, oh, you know, he'll take us to a nice restaurant. I was like, that's not the Stephen that I really know. <laughs> I, know the, I know the Stephen from the slot bucket years, which for <laughs> the listeners of the New Statesman podcast who don't know, was an office we used to have in Farringdon that was just sort of like a desolate wasteland with no kitchen facilities <laughs> and just a bucket on the floor where we'd tip our dregs into. And then the poor cleaner had to take it out at the end of the day. I know Stephen from those years and the, you know, get a baguette and a pot of hummus from Tesco for lunch type time. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I've had lots of long decadent lunches with Stephen, <laughs> the aficionado of the, the long Westminster lunch. And um, he's also partial to a nice cocktail after work. Um, I do know that. So Yeah, because we used to go to the one which had rats in it. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. The, the, the glamour. The, yeah, the cocktails were nice. But God, I mean, this thing is... Crossrail looks very glamorous now, but my God, Farringdon really was a complete dump in the, in the early, early eras of us being in the NS. Yeah. So Stephen's favourite cocktail or like drink of choice is a Kia Royale. So you're going to have a Kia Royale oh <laughs> while we record. You brought props. Oh, yeah. Wow. This is so good. Um, so if one of you has to open the champagne, although it's not technically a Kia Royale because they were out of creme de cassis. So it's a sort of raspberry champagne um, well I'm, so I'm quitting you get the <laughs> <I will. laughs> they'll give you Kia so, Royales at the FT okay <laughs> so you get the plastic Prosecco glass and then the rest of us have paper cups 
I'm not gonna lie, I'm so nervous about, no offense Noosh, I, I absolutely believe in your abilities as a journalist, <laughs> but I'm really concerned about what's gonna My happen dexterity. with that cork. <laughs> yeah, like. Also listeners won't, won't be able to tell, it's not just the three of us, we have a whole a whole gang here because we have Phil recording and Hugh filming, plus our two producers, Ray. Main Oh wow, Adrian. well done, yeah. So the whole gang. God, that was, that was, that was very artfully, um, artfully done, Anoush. I, I, oh, I, I don't never... know about my secret glamorous life. Oh, we sorry. Put oh, the... oh, sorry. Okay, yeah, sorry. So I guess we need to, we, we've written off this glass. Um... <laughs> uh, for if listeners just... who can't see this, um, Stephen it's... just downed the champagne that I accidentally poured him before, before, the, uh, before the... the coolie. I mean, we're recording at about 11am, listeners. <laughs> so no shame if you want a key royale at this time of the day. Just go for it. Raise a glass to Stephen Bush. <laughs> Cheers. <time>. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks, Amber. Cheers, Stephen. I think for me, the most tragic thing of my Kira Royale thing was at last year's Labour conference. I kept in bars being like, Kira Royale, it's not a political endorsement. And no one, you know, it's like, this isn't <laughs> That's a like joke. when you have Thatcher's gold yeah. in the sports and social. Yeah, it's just like, it's like, it's like, R.I.P. Yeah, it's just like, why do I, like, this isn't a good joke. No one has laughed at it. I'm really just at this point depressing myself by the fact no one, no one is laughing at my Kira Royale joke. Except when I called Morning Call Kira Royale one day. Someone wrote back angrily that I had revealed my political biases. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> what was that about New Statesman readers being nice? <laughs> uh, the, the vast majority of them, them are. But my favourite angry response is the person who replied complaining about political inconsistency between the puns. They were just like, mm. how can you possibly say this about so-and-so, but this about, their, about, about them the next day? Because it's six o'clock in the yeah, morning and I'm trying morning. to think of wordplay. I'm trying to think of wordplay. <laughs> so our amazing producers, May and Adrian, have been sort of digging around the archives of the New Statesman podcast to try and find funny or memorable clips of your time on it. How long have, how long have you been doing it? Uh, I'm not sure. I think in the kind of format of being a regular host, I think since um, podcast number 100, and this must be podcast number more than that, <laughs> Um, yeah, okay. some cool. Thanks for that, which yeah, that didn't help us at all with really the timeline. Help, helpful <laughs> timelining there, but you know, for, for the best part of, of five years, I've been been a, a permanent fixture on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's one thing that I was trying to get them to find, which we actually didn't dig out, but I think you'll probably remember, which was the time on the sixth of May, 2016, when you sort of went mad on the local election live blog and you decided to rewrite the words to American Pie about Scottish Labour. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Yeah. I found the lyrics. I couldn't find the recording of the song that we did, but um, I thought you might want to give the listeners who maybe <laughs> missed that a little blast. <clears throat> I've entered the late the late period Bob Dylan stage of my so career ashamed. where I can't really be bothered to sing properly. I'm just going to sit in the ground graveling into it a long, long time ago. Uh, that's, except, that's a bit more Tom Waits, isn't it? Anyway. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how Labour used to win the Clyde. No other party had a chance. We planned the victory in advance. Now there's only Morningside. But the Indy Ref made me shiver with every leaflet we'd deliver. Bad news on the doorstep. I couldn't take one more step. And I can't remember if I cried when I heard that we'd lost East Kilbride. But something touched me deep inside the day that Dougie cried. 
So bye bye to kick Hardy's old guys. You used to win by landslides, now you're trapped on morning side. Now Tom <laughs> Harris is just a blogger and consulting on the side, singing What Happened to My Glasgow Landslide? What Happened to My Glasgow Landslide? Yeah, I mean, in my. Parcels. That was actually lovely. That was actually you very a really good, nice Stephen. voice. In That's my, something I don't remember from the original <laughs> recording. In my partial defence, it was seven fifty in the morning. Which I mean, I know that's actually quite late, but it was seven fifty. I hadn't been asleep at that point for probably more than twenty four hours. This is actually in the you know in the distant sort of past before you know before we had invented an NS Patel correspondent. I just used to sit alone live blogging, going gradually insane. <laughs> um, I'm just getting more and more hysterical because obviously in order to stay awake, you kind of, well, there are various tipples of choice. Every time I drink Red Bull, I just have this sense of, oh, this is going to kill me, isn't it? Right? It smells like it's going to kill you. It makes your heart feel like your heart's going to kill you. It's just... Uh, whenever they, you know, they put like the disclaimer being like, yeah, don't drink this to excess. And it's like, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> and, and excess <laughs> is clearly even just sniffing it. So um, so I, I prefer to, to live blog powered by Coca-Cola because that's definitely not unhealthy, uh, drunk in sort of large quantities. Full but, fat. Full fat. Yeah, the full. Uh, no, I mean, I, I can't, can't stand Coke Zero. It's got a weird sort of aspartame taste. Diet Coke tastes like someone's put a weird combination of metal and soap. In a regular Coca-Cola, the only good Coca-Cola is full fat, honest to goodness, red Coca-Cola. Um, the New Statesman podcast is brought to you by Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it meant that, you know, by the end of the ta- time, I got, I think 2016 is the last live blog I did uh, on my own. Mm-hmm. Potentially, actually, I realized looking back, um, Jason and Helen clearly saw that cry for help <laughs> and realized that they had to hire a political correspondent <laughs> so that someone else would send morning call someone would prevent me um you know going fully insane during a live blog because yeah you learn it's a bit like you know i'm going on going on holiday for two weeks and i won't be able to to write or to blog because i won't have you know a platform and i will therefore be switching my phone off and not doing any work and it's i, I can tell it's going to be good for me but it's a bit like must be like going on silent retreat when you're just, oh God, what am I going to discover about myself? Because the thing that listeners might also not realise is that you, I think, often do more work on holiday even than you do when you're in the office, that you get such bad withdrawal symptoms that <laughs> you just start like <laughs> firing off the odd blog <laughs> yeah. from holiday. <laughs> and sometimes, you, you, you know, you make a case that they're urgent. Sometimes there's really no case for it. It's just some thoughts you had to get out of your system. And obviously the New Statesman was always delighted to have your, your holiday thoughts. Um, but actually from the end of today, you won't have a home for these thoughts. So we've been joking that you're going to have to set up a sub stack for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere we'll host your content. My two weeks sub stack. Because yeah, I do this this thing which I'm told is slightly annoying on holiday. Well, when I start thinking about something, I start doing this kind of like thing where I just start typing on my own, my own knuckle. Tapping. I just oh, start... that it? That's the... That's oh, yeah. the... Mm. Signature Stephen Tap. Oh God, I'm yeah. sorry. That, that must, no, no, that must I, be quite irritating. I, um, I'm actually very fond of it. Okay, yeah, because yeah. yeah, Felicity's not. There's not, a particular one. That, <laughs> there's a particular sorry, one you do when pe- when you're annoyed with people on Twitter. <laughs> 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 particular ferocity. <laughs> but Stephen, so um, Adrian and May, um, our brilliant producers, have been taking a little bit of a trip down memory lane that we want to go down with you now. Um, we just had the you know your brief beautiful interlude of the Scottish Labour song but we're going to wind the hands of time back a bit 
to your first ever New Statesman podcast. We're going to start off with UKIP. Remember them? They used to be in the news all the time, whatever happened to them. Uh, Our political editor, George Eaton, is here to tell us more about that, as is a newcomer to the New Statesman staff, Stephen Bush, now editor of The Staggers. Welcome, Stephen. Hello. This is the the sort of trap that Ed Miliband finds himself in. Absolutely. Um, Although, in his defence, I mean, some would say if he's being attacked from the left by, say, Unite or from the right by... uh, uh, the Blairites, then it then it proves he's roughly in the right place. But and that only makes sense if you triangulate your your opinion based on the Labour Party, which represented less people at the last election than there are currently people who are clinically obese. I mean, it's not particularly. <laughs> what a debut! Going, well, in terms of these two niche. Wow, I really, I thought, oh, you know, a nice humble hello to get started. You know, this is this is good debut. The zero to 60 of, yeah, look, the Labour Party is weird. <laughs> if you triangulate your politics based on whether you're in the middle of the Labour Party, you're weird. Thanks for hiring me, George. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, pretty uh, brutal on George. Pretty, well. Yeah, and brave things. I mean, the thing is that, you know, as you can tell, like, I'm the more dissolute political editor. George treats his body like a temple, right? That guy, he's got, he's stacked. He's stacked. He once told me he uses a rowing machine because it's the most efficient way to exercise. Uh, and despite a lot of provocation, I'm very grateful to George for not at any point deciding to bench press me for being like, yeah, Labour Party's weird, probably going to lose. Yeah, when we say what we've had for breakfast, do sound checks. Remember, George used to be like, I've had one plain piece of wholemeal toast. Yeah. And we'd be like, any butter? He'd be like, no. <laughs> be like, <gasps> and that's why he's going to outlive all of us. Right? <laughs> the man treats his body like a temple. Um, <laughs> and And then back in the day... Obviously, you two go way, way back, old friends and colleagues. I think the listeners would love to know um, about when Stephen joined the New Statesman. Anush very kindly got in touch with Stephen to, to say hello, welcome him to the team. But can you, t- can you tell the listeners the story that this was not the first time you'd met Stephen, Anush? Sure. I mean, it doesn't put us either of us in a particularly... Good it reflects light. particularly poorly on the NS's hiring practices. It does. Um, uh. But yes, we Stephen and I had previously worked together on our student paper, um, the Oxford student. Um, so, <laughs> which is why it Cringe. doesn't make the New Statesman look particularly good. Um, but yes, I did already know him. And when I found out we were hiring him, I wanted to text him and say congratulations. And I went into my text and I scrolled back to see the last message that I sent him. And it was just, Stephen, where are the pages? It's press day. Because Stephen back then was sports editor and I was editor and Stephen would often push the boundaries of, of when he should lay his pages. Um, and I think some of the subs at the New Statesman might sim- sympathise with that story. I mean, I, I'm going to slightly defend myself uh, against these these charges of a of a casual attitude to deadlines. Sport, particularly university, it's, it's a kinetic, fast moving <laughs> news story, right, where the game ends when the game ends, right? And that means that the pages can sometimes be late. You know, we can't all write about, I don't know, the student union. Um, we also thought, Stephen, that you might, well, both of you might enjoy listening back to Anusha's impression of Ed Miliband. And I'm going to be slightly unfair and ask you both to nominate your favourite moment from this parliament. Uh, mine's probably a bit less optimistic than Stephen's. Um, I think something that really sums up what this parliament has shown was when Ed Miliband was doing a Q&A with some young people on, on Sky. This was quite recently. Um, and one of them said, what, what jobs have you had outside of politics? And Ed Miliband turned around very earnestly and said, oh, you know, I was a... 
<laughs> I was a treasury advisor, which I think is very important. And th- this boy was just, you know, astonished. And, and it was just absolutely... Uh, I mean, it, I think it sums up the problem with this parliament is that MPs haven't noticed that people just don't connect with them anymore and that even when they try and do politics differently, in inverted commas, they fail. I've got a new favourite moment of this parliament, which is discovering that you can do an Ed Miliband impression. How much more fun is that going to make the podcast? I, I, I keep forgetting all of the moments on the podcast where like, the brief mix was like, anything could happen. Maybe Labour could win this election. Would slip and we'd be like, yeah, shame we're not going to need this Ed Miliband impression again. Well, yeah, I mean, you really hit he's back. So you really, I, I actually had a really vivid dream last night that Ed Miliband had resigned from the Shadow Cabinet. Mm. Um, it was weird. Like, I... God, I really have an unhealthy relationship with my work, don't I? Um, <laughs> and then I woke up and I was like, I need to file. <laughs> Ed Miliband's resigned. And Felicity's like, that two-week holiday could not <laughs> come soon enough. <laughs> so you went on to co-host with Helen Lewis. We just heard her in the previous clip. Here's the time Helen took you to David Hare's play, I'm Not Running, on Labour politics. And I think I remember you had a lot of thoughts about it. Last night, I took you to the National Theatre on an exciting podcast school trip. Thank you very much for the delicious salsa chips that you bought me. Uh, I enjoyed them very much from the concession stand that side. And we went to see David Hare's I'm Not Running. There are really no two ways about it. I did not enjoy this play very much. This play is obsolete in 2018, would have been obsolete in 2010 for a different reason, would have been obsolete in 2011, obsolete in 2012. and And also the other one would have simply been very bad. It'll, I mean, it had that kind of slight problem I have with David Hare dialogue, where I kind of think that dialogue's like, a weevil in the shadow cabinet? You want to put a weevil in the shadow cabinet? Yes, a weevil or a wasp or a wangdoogle. And let me tell you, that weevil wouldn't have invaded Iraq, right? And that is the dialogue of all David Hare plays in television ever. Um, well, I think what we've learned here is two things, which is one that... Uh, I'm very ungrateful when people give me free tickets to plays. Yes, that <laughs> is true. And secondly, um, if you are available, I would suspect for free consultancy, should anyone wish to write a State of the Nation play in future. It's what I'd forgotten is you can actually hear live on air. The moment I'm just like, I probably should have thanked Helen for taking me to see a play for free. Um, <laughs> um, I think also David Hare did hear or at least had the contents of my review of his dialogue relayed to him, which is pretty awkward. But anyway, yeah, invite me to your, your plays, guys. Um, I'm an asshole. I mean, his dialogue is bad. I'm sorry. It is. It's bad. So we used to have another podcast, Seriously, about pop culture, which took pop culture seriously. And we once did a Harry Potter week oh, for no. it. And... I think it was just one of the best podcast episodes ever because we just read out your teenage Harry Potter fan fiction. Harry Potter and the Rift in Time, a Stephen Bush original fanfic. Chapter 6. The costs to the library are horrendous, Dumbledore said gravely. It will delay your education by a term and you will all have to stay for an extra few weeks over the summer to make up the time. <laughs> Dumbledore winked at Harry. Dumbledore knew that a few more weeks at Hogwarts and away from the Dursleys would be no punishment at all. But more was to come. Dumbledore had summoned Harry, Hermione, Ron, Ella, Snape and Professor McGonagall to his office to account for what had gone on. While curiosity is admirable (laughs) and experimentation is to be encouraged at a school... Dumbledore... (laughs) Dumbledore said... Doing what you did outside the bounds of the classroom was incredibly dangerous. 
It's normal circumstances. I'd have no choice but to expel all four of you. Hermione let out a gasp. <gasps> but with Voldemort on the prowl, that isn't an option. Dumbledore said gently. Instead, <laughs> gently. <laughs> Instead, it's going to be 300 points of each of your houses. Okay, I think we've established I wasn't a teenage prodigy. Whereas I was. Yeah, I mean, this thing is like, yeah, well, once again, real, really, we just haven't got enough value out of Anoush doing silly voices on this I podcast. didn't realise that was you, Anoush. I thought that was Anna. You thought that was Dumbledore. I thought that was Dumbledore. You've got to your impressions more. I mean, like, maybe, maybe instead of being like, I'm leaving, you should just... Like do this like incredibly nasal voice, you know, just like oh, I've got three or four different points. <laughs> I'll work on it. So then a new era began of the NS podcast where we were briefly a quartet. So it was the three of us plus the long departed Patrick Maguire. And uh, we were in the studio a little bit during the twenty nineteen general election, but quite quickly we were thrust into remote working and we were all recording this over Zencaster, which it took us a little bit of time to adjust to. Hello and welcome to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues Stephen Bush, Patrick Maguire and Alva Ray. Welcome to the first of what I'm sure will be a number of very unusual episodes of the New Statesman podcast, because I suspect the sound quality will not be, I was actually not be at the level you're used to, will be even lower than the level than our <laughs> listeners are used to. Uh, well, so yeah. or, or perhaps better, who knows? Yeah. So, so joining you from under the sea is Sebastian, aka Patrick Maguire. Anoush, <laughs> say hi. Hiya. So today we're going to start with a section we like to call... You Ask Us. And I somehow feel the call and response is not going to survive into the era of remote workers. We, you wish. Yeah. We, I as I, I imagine even our slowest witted of listeners will have clocked, have been sent home and are all engaging in measures of social distancing. And the thing is that, that we were struggling so much with remote working that I was just trying to get onto that recording yes. the whole 20 I was floating around there, able to hear you, not able to speak. <laughs> I feel like one of us was in that limbo every time we recorded. <laughs> but also, I think we sound quite, I think you both sound a bit low there, especially in Nush. Yeah, like, what a, what a weird time. But then um, began the era of, quote, your wonderful threeness, as one listener has referred to it as. I'm, t- I'm re- reading this from the producer notes, otherwise I think it would be arrogant to <laughs> it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we wanted to go through a few memorable moments. This wasn't actually that long ago, but um, Stephen, we remember fondly when we were without without shelter at a conservative conference, and Anush kindly told us we looked haggard after the Sorry, experience. Guys. So Stephen and Alva are back from Manchester, looking a little haggard, if you don't mind me saying. <laughs> <laughs> we have seen some stuff, okay? Like... I mean, you didn't have a hotel room when you arrived, as I heard. I'm actually so gutted about this because people have been coming up to me during conference and saying, you look surprisingly perky considering, you know, the few days that you've had. And I say, oh, it's my industrial strength concealer. But clearly it's failed to work today. <laughs> Sorry, I am actually being misleading to our listeners. You both look beautiful, beautiful glowing. You're lighting up the studio. Um, Sorry, that's <laughs> No, I think fair enough. Definitely haggard on the inside. I do recall you look pretty rough, actually. <laughs> 
And but also the the poetic harmony of the fact that when we found ourselves without a hotel room, we went to a bar in a fancy hotel and started ringing new hotels to find a room while drinking Kia Royale. Yeah, it was a good time. There was a brief period where I kind of thought like, oh God, I think they might listen to the podcast, but I'm locked into this now. Am I going to end up living like with some distant cousins somewhere out in like a Manchester suburb having to be like, yes, yes, I totally do keep kosher. <laughs> Thank you for putting <laughs> us up for free. <laughs> <laughs> So the joys of remote working continued with you recording one episode standing on a balcony in December. Although and, Stephen um, is sounding more cranky for part two is because um, the, the noises coming from your bathroom renovation were so loud that um, the poor man is now standing on his balcony <laughs> to record yeah. this. I'm really regretting going for like the cool, sleek, metallic outer shell of, of this computer because, yeah, I'm, you know, wearing uh, a hoodie, some thermals, a cardigan jacket a suit blazer really the only bit of me that's exposed to the elements are the fact that i'm holding this now quite cold laptop in my hand and slightly concerned that i may in fact never be able to let go of this laptop again yeah god that was a dark time yeah my advice to anyone if you're considering getting a bathroom renovation is don't <laughs> it's things like you know i'm i'm still keenly aware of when Clis old library is open <laughs> because because it was quite important to be able to go to the toilet. It was a dark time, a dark time. Did you ever sink to using the Essex Street office showers? I did once use mm -hmm. the Essex Street shower. Well, yeah, which um, was, I mean, I love the New Statesman. It's it's a great place, very professional setup. But um, <laughs> but I wouldn't I wouldn't back the showers in this building not to produce scalding hot water. I wouldn't this back them to produce hot water at all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this thing is, I think the one thing I wouldn't back it to is to produce warm water. Like, yeah, like cold water, trip to A&E water. And I decided that the prudent course was just to, just to accept I was having a bracing, a bracing shower. Yeah. Well, that's a wellness thing now, so. We also wanted to play you um, when you confessed that you would rather answer a You Ask Us question about Molly May. Then Keir Starmer. So as I would like to point out, despite the fact I was unfairly painted by both of you as the fuddy-duddy who did not want to do Molly May, I would have much rather have done <laughs> Molly May than this question. Really? Why didn't you say? Oh, you seemed you like... both seemed so enthusiastic about it. I didn't want to say that I oh. think this question's a silly question. But, oh, but, so, but, oh, oh, so... <laughs> but no, you tell us on air. Yeah, because, on air, on air. Our listeners can hear us fight. Because yeah. I said, I thought that, that, I think that's a really good question. And you said, what, the Molly May one? Yeah. And I said, and no, you look really miserable. One. <laughs> it's your patience with the You Ask Us section. I mean, I don't know why we're saying finally you lost your patience a long time ago. Uh, from the Gavin Barwell episode recently. And now it's time for a section I'm going to call I Ask Stephen. <laughs> Straining the format slightly. <laughs> this is why Stephen's really leaving. <laughs> yeah. This is central to why I'm in my exit interview. I'm just going to play them a clip of this podcast. <laughs> I mean... I, thought, I, I, like, I like audience participation and, and actually some of the most interesting and thought-provoking questions are the questions that we haven't asked, but I've just, you know, plagiarised uh, for, for the website. But call and response, ugh, um, as some listeners will, will know, uh, my, my, my mother has the wrong religion now. 
uh, in my teens, she went off to train to be an Anglican uh, priest. And I very strongly associate her her training for ministry with having to go to a type of church service where there's no there's no order of service, right? So that you, you have no way of knowing when you're getting out alive, right? You can't even be like, oh, thank goodness, page six, three pages to go. They could just keep putting more God songs up on the OHP forever. And the worst thing is they won't even let you in a, in, a, in that type of service just sit there in kind of quiet, like, quiet silence. They're like, you know, the Lord. And you're like, oh, the Lord, the Lord? It's ah. <laughs> I, I think, you know, the thing about being part of an ethnocultural minority and not believing in that, and then, like, your mother also being part of another religion, is I just associate call and response very strongly with, you know, that kind of, like, you know, moment in Simchat Torah when suddenly everyone stands up and you're like, oh, cripes, what's happened here? Oh, God, I'm turning turning the prayer book in the wrong direction because it... Right to left, not left to right. Yeah, yeah. I just hate call and response. But the audience questions aspect, fine. But you know, the you ask us. I mean, I think some audience members may disagree with that. Guys, we're, we're not on the we're receiving not the end of your judgment. Yeah. We're, we're not the Renettes, guys. Every, like. <laughs> just every so often, you absolutely slating a you ask us question. <laughs> Hello, it's Alva here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. At the moment, you can subscribe from £1 a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to www.newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. From The New Statesman World Review comes France Elects a special podcast series exploring the main candidates and the big issues shaping the campaign to be France's next president. I'm Ido Vok, and over the next two months, I'll be joined by special guests to dissect incumbent Emmanuel Macron's record, his rivals to the right and left, and key issues such as foreign policy and the climate. Just search World Review on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Now we're on the topic. Now it's time for a section we like to call You Ask Us. Come on, Stephen, sing it. You Ask Us. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! Woo! Hello, Stephen. It's Helen. And for once, uh, I won't be able to interrupt you, as our listeners constantly accused me of doing, because I have all the space all to myself. It was an absolute blast to do the New Statesman podcast with you in a series of basements and dank rooms over so many years and it was such an odd period in British politics too which I really appreciated being able to ask you is that right is that what really is going on over a series of many years I think I will probably always remember my ill-advised attempt at doing Eminem I will always remember your ill-advised attempt at singing I think Les Mis than one time and definitely there was some Hamilton after the 2017 election 
Um, but most of all, I will remember your insight, your warmth, your <laughs> strange sense of humor, which I always appreciated. And I'm going to leave you with a classic you asked us, which is, do wizards vote in muggle elections? <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, wow. You know, one of the interesting things about Harry Potter is how poorly drawn uh, fictional universities, which is why I find it fascinating that Warner Brothers has spent so much money on like having a cinematic universe. Like, like J.K. Rowling has many strengths as a storyteller, but visibly the the fictional universe is, is slightly too thinly drawn for you to possibly set uh, other adventures within it. But what we've shown is that the Minister of Magic clearly sits within an elected Muggle government, right? Essentially, the Minister of Magic is a quango, which I think for it to have any form of legitimacy we must therefore assume that wizards are also voting within the existing political structures. And of course, actually, the, the fascinating thing is if you look at the timeline of the Harry Potter books, which, of course, start in 1980 and end in 1997, uh, Voldemort is the 18 years of Tory rule. Right? I'm not, I'm, like, this, I know this sounds like a bit, but I'm actually not doing a bit here. Like, it genuinely does exact track onto that. So I, I think I'm, I'm broadly on the view that, that they, they clearly do. And again, obviously, this all comes back to the fact that, again, like, they're great school stories, but there is no world building. You know, it's not Tolkien. It's not C.S. Lewis. It's a, it's a very thinly drawn fantasy world. Have you ever asked J.K. Rowling? Um, no, no. I mean, essentially, whenever like a whenever a figure from my childhood follows me on Twitter, yeah, like the same with like Philip Pullman, I have like maybe three days of like I need to clean up my act. No more Arsenal. I'm never tweeting, tweeting again. Yeah. <laughs> no more Arsenal tweeting. No more silly jokes. I'm just going to tweet my pieces like an adult. It's like occasionally um, Rula Khalif, who's the very impressive uh, editor of the FT, will like one of my tweets. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I, I, oh, God. I keep forgetting that you're on Twitter. And yeah, and then I just don't. But it basically feels like the, the window uh, after she followed me on Twitter after I wrote a piece about Hermione Granger, uh, in which I could be like, Joe, do they vote in my... <laughs> that, that window has passed. <laughs> so it just remains remains one of the great unanswerable questions of our time. So we've got another question. When I was asked to do this, I thought about how I could best do it in authentic Stephen Bush style. So I tried to think of a point about Stephen Bush that everybody else in the lobby had missed. <laughs> and then I started a sentence, got my phone out, had an extended <laughs> argument with someone on Twitter, and 20 minutes later, finished it. Then I went to a Michelin star restaurant and was incredibly generous to my junior colleagues. <laughs> but then I just thought, you know, on this momentous and sad occasion, I'd just say how grateful I was as a, you know, a baby hack for Stephen's tutelage and his support. I remember in my final year of university, me and uh, a fellow uh, hack, wannabe hack, were, you know, on a walk somewhere. He said, well, what do you want to do? I said, you know, one day, uh, there's this guy at the New Statesman called Stephen Bush who does really interesting stuff every day, and I'd love to do something like that. And I was lucky enough to try, and then I realised nobody could do it like Stephen. <laughs> so here I am now, speaking to you from the dark side. But yeah, I, best of luck. It's sad that the old team have been finally broken up on the scrap heap, as David Brandt said. So yeah, goodbye, Stephen. My you ask us from... Patrick in Southport, I've spent many hours with you talking about MPs and journalists and talking heads who aren't impressive. Is there anyone working in Westminster 
that you do respect. Just one name. <laughs> I do actually respect most people who work in Westminster. I, I, I'm not as malicious as, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'll really miss uh, the podcast game. I'm obviously getting out of it, um, you know, for the foreseeable future. But obviously the thing I will miss most is is Morning Call because it's my baby. There was a New Statesman podcast before me. There'll be one after me. There was a political column before me. There'll also be a Morning Call uh, after me. Don't, don't, yeah, take good care of my baby, okay? I'll, I'll be upset if something bad happens to it. But um, but because Morning Call, you know, it's like, it's, it's the thing that's mine. And um, obviously Ben Brogan, who first hired me, wrote one. But, you know, obviously Paul War, the kind of... Um, the godfather of morning emails um, is someone who I just hugely respect as a commentator, uh, reporter. Um, it brought me kind of great personal satisfaction. He now does a kind of an evening email. So I finally, I've out, I've seen them all off. <laughs> Matt Shawley, Phil Webster, Kevin Schofield. In fact, the whole concept of a poll home morning email, they're all gone. And now actually everyone in the email newsletter world, in some ways, you know, it's like the Jedi, right? I mean, okay, I know that there's that other guy who sends Playbook four days a week, but we all know Friday. <laughs> Friday is the best day of of, uh, of Playbook because it's when Eleni sends it. And of course, uh, as has been a recurring theme, I'm a great believer in that a long lunch is a very important part of source cultivation in, in this game. And uh, in the lobby, you tend to have a lunch partner so you can uh, split the bill and make it slightly less likely than Jason will be like, I'm sorry. You had how much? Uh, so Katie Ball's Spectator, uh, my partner in crime. So a lot of the time when I've said to listeners and then, you know, a minister or a shadow minister told me a lot of the time uh, it has been in a restaurant with Katie. But yeah, lots of people. But yeah, particularly, yeah, Paul Wall, yeah, the godfather. Hello, Stephen. John Elledge here of City Metric and shouty opinion column fame. Uh, congratulations on the FT gig. They're very lucky to have you. Working with you on, was always a delight. Working with you on podcasts all the more so. Probably the, the highlight was uh, was the time we got an entire segment of the City Metric podcast, Skylines, uh, out of arguing uh, over whether the DLR was a part of London's Tube Network, a row that also led us to, I think, three or four different pieces of content and also a YouGov survey. For some reason, they put that in the field to kind of settle the argument for us. The low light was possibly when the results of that YouGov survey came in and it turned out that people agreed with you rather than me. I meant to be I meant to be using this to to ask you a question. Uh, the bit of work we've done together most recently was the prime ministerial mini series in which we look back at uh, the careers of Britain's last six prime ministers. So the question I would like to ask is, who is your favorite prime minister or or if that's not an interesting enough question, which is the prime minister you think is is most like Doctor Who? Thanks, Dean. Who's my favourite prime minister? Oh, I we all know, know the I, answer, Stephen. I don't know why I'm pretending this is a difficult question. Um, you know, I think I, I think I'm going to have to go for. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's Tony Blair, right? Yeah, like um, finally, yeah. he's come out of the closet. Yeah. Um, it's, and and despite this, people will still think I'm on the soft left. Literally, it's like it's like the my magical. You're, you'll be a Keir Starmer show for yeah. as long as he's, he's Labour yeah. leader. For as long as, as long as that middle of the party. I mean, yeah, like blah blah blah. There's nothing wrong with being from the middle of the Labour Party, other than all of the things you believe and all of your doomed attempts. I think to win the first elections. clip we played in this yeah. shows that you don't believe that. But no, yeah, um, I think yeah. Which one of them is is more like Doctor Who? 
well, it kind of depends on the on which doctor it is. But I'm glad to have been on the right side of public opinion for once on the crucial issue of whether or not of the fact the DLR clearly is a tube. And yeah, it clearly is. Yeah, yeah Tony Blake's definitely in the top one, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, well, I think that we can, I think listeners will have been able to tell that the only thing you hate more than the call and response on the New Statesman podcast is the music. <laughs> and so we have a little goodbye gift for you um, which is you can open it if you want beautifully wrapped beautifully wrapped I'm not going to lie guys I really, I really thought you were getting rid of the music <laughs> but I'm sure whatever this is will be almost as oh oh they've, they've done me a print of the sound waves of of, of devil with the devil. Devil with the devil, Not yeah. Not devil by the devil. I mean, I think it may be of the devil, but <laughs> this is a very kind gift. So you will never forget the New Statesman podcast music. Uh, there's also a Spotify link at the bottom, so you can listen to it whenever you want. Wow, so useful for you, Stephen. You'll yeah, that, that. that'll be great, you know. <laughs> whenever I'm feeling a little bit too much like there's too much good music in this world... I really, actually, I mean, God, I'm so ungrateful. I mean, this is ultimately a piece of music that we have um, been able to use for free. Although, to be honest, if you did want to hit a cease and desist order, I, for one, <laughs> do think if you're listening to this, you should consider it. Um, but yes, um, thank you very much for uh, uh, a picture of one of the few New Statesman traditions that I haven't been able to destroy. Um, and thank you both. Thank you both so much. Thank you, yeah, to our brilliant, our brilliant producers. Uh, who, I mean, if people think that the answers are long and rambling now, really, yeah. uh, the raw materials <laughs> are so much more long and rambling <laughs> than that. Yeah, but thank you. This is really kind. Um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for so many years of brilliant, funny, depressing, uh, and weird podcasting. And I really want to throw the outro to you, seeing as it's your last episode. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Stephen Bush, for the last time. With our political correspondent, Alva Ray, our Britain editor, Anusha Kellyan. It's produced and recorded by Adrian Bradley and Mae Robson. Our music is devil with the devil. Still. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. And goodbye. Ha <laughs> ha